welcome to the Park Road Podcast for September 6th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon this morning is entitled, Free to be Bound. Um, though by no means a consensus There are New Testament scholars who regard the book of James as a composition of the early, of the earthly biological brother of Jesus. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, wanted to cast this epistle out of the canon of Scripture because he believed that it too heavily emphasized doing the doing of good works. Luther's theological and personal struggle with the Roman Catholic Church centered around his contention that the church had erred in offering a salvation that could be earned or bought for the price of an indulgence. It may be argued that Luther won his battle with the, with the church in the 16th century. All Protestant churches exist now as a result of his protest But Luther lost his bid to feed the words of the book of James to the birds. And I think it's a good thing that he did, that we still have the book of James in our Bible. Many of you raised in a Baptist church like I was could quote Ephesians 2, 8, For we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. We can quote that scripture. We can talk about salvation through grace and through faith. But James offers a strong conflicting biblical opinion. The tension between works and faith is a healthy tension, I think. Works and faith. And if James was the brother of Jesus, there is little doubt that his book um, preserves what the controversial scholar James Tabor calls the Jesus dynasty. That is the closest, truest reflection of Jesus' own faith and practice. James's brief five-chapter word of instruction cuts to the chase. He's, he opens with these words. Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Consider the testing of your faith which produces endurance, so that you may be mature, lacking in nothing. In other words, James is not interested in theologizing. He's interested in faith and real life. Faith in real life. Faith for real life that is filled with suffering. He sounds to me like one of the Old Testament prophets who were Jesus' own mentors. He will have nothing for pomp and circumstance, for the pride that the pious take in their services of worship, their claims of dogmatic truth. Just as Amos told the people that God hated their worship, those are Amos's words, and they were fighting words back then to those folks. God said, I hate your festivals because you have forgotten the covenant. If they could not take care of the poor in their midst, Amos says, God is offended by your worship. And James says in no uncertain terms that religion that is pure before God is the caring for orphans and widows. That's what true religion is for James. 
I think there's a gritty integrity to James's instruction. Don't tell me what you believe. Be doers of the word. Show me that what you say you believe has actually changed how you live and has made your life and your world better. It's not about theology. It's about practice. Show me what you believe. I don't know a word that our world, which is torn by religious strife, needs any more than this word. I don't know a word that the Christian church, which is something somewhat on the run, on the ropes, losing some ground in the face of media scrutiny and competition for market share. I don't know anything the church needs more than this word. If the Christian church were in competition within itself, to out-serve the poor, to out-house the homeless, to out-visit those in prison, to outdo one another in showing love instead of battling over who is more theologically correct, well, the world and the church would be different. Now, some people claim that the Bible is outdated. It's ancient and it's irrelevant. I think it's only the people that don't read the Bible who can make that claim. If you read the Bible, if you actually read the Bible, you can't say that. When I read the words of the prophets from eight centuries before Jesus, who argued against their own culture, their own religious understanding, their own way of life that was politically stable, that was economically successful, that was religiously satisfied. There is a burning critique that I hear of our own American life. We too are proud of our worship like the ancient Israelites. We are convinced that we are doing it the right way, that we have the right understanding of God, that if only they would get on board, everything would just be fine. Amos is talking to us when he says God hates all of that unless Justice rolls down like water. You know, religion is about how we take care of one another. James is in that same prophetic tradition when he takes on our pretentious concern for what people wear when they come to our sanctuary for worship. I purposely didn't wear my robe today and I thought too late I should have come in blue jeans. I really, I really should have to see how you would have responded to that. Um, you know, I didn't write this text and I didn't pick it for today in particular. It's the lectionary text chosen for today. But if you think that James is only talking to some pious Jews of the first century in Israel, you have comfortably shielded yourself from the great truth and the real power of the biblical witness. James is talking to us. He says, you know, if a well-dressed person comes into your sanctuary and you welcome them, but someone comes in with blue jeans and you welcome them a little differently, a little less. Well, if you're not quite as gracious to the teenagers in our church who come wearing their tennis shoes or their short pants, then you've made distinctions among yourselves and you have become judges with evil thoughts. Hmm. James seems to suggest that there are no distinctions, whether you wear a tie to church or blue jeans to church. 
I've got to stop here and say, and I can say this because this person isn't here today, but I just heard from somebody who just needed to complain a little bit that um, Joey doesn't dress up enough for church. You know, Joey doesn't wear a tie. Joey is our youth coordinator, if you're not, if you're a guest. Um, and Joey dresses like the youth do. Um, I'm just glad Joey takes off his West Virginia ball cap when he comes into the sanctuary. But Joey generally wears blue jeans and a t-shirt or a button-down or something like that. And, you know, that's just not how we do at Park Road. You know, you and Amy are failing because you're not teaching Joey how to dress at Park Road. I couldn't help but think about that person when I read today's text... And I thought about the church member several years ago who left Park Road because she said to me, I don't have the right kind of clothes to wear. Um, We never said that to her. You've got to dress in a certain way. There was just something that she felt about that. Maybe nobody else said anything to her about it. It's just walking into a room where most of us wear coats and ties. She just wasn't comfortable. And she just left. And I think that's a real, real shame. Um, And I think we can, uh, I'm off manuscript here, I hope that's okay. Um, I I think that's one of the challenges that we have in this day and time. I was talking to one of Jackson's baseball coaches um, uh, this past week, and he was was talking about how things had changed. And for 20 years, he was in the business world, and he he was in construction, but he was on the business side of construction. He had to wear a suit with with lace-up shoes and a white shirt. I was wearing a pastel shirt the day he, he saw me, and he said, I couldn't have worn that shirt. I had to wear a white shirt and a tie and a suit every day and lace up shoes you know things have changed people don't dress like they used to dress and sometimes people come to church not wearing a coat and tie and you know I wear a coat and tie every Sunday my boys still wear a tie every Sunday to church and it's not because Amy or I have ever said anything to them about how they have to dress I don't know it's just in the air or something in the water that's just how they dress you know But I think that's a challenge for us. If we're trying to reach out to folks, if we want folks to come, if we want them to be welcome, somehow we've got to find a way to make sure they know that if you come in blue jeans, that's okay. Back to the manuscript. Then James brings his issue to a fine point, which should make all good Baptists in the room squirm a little bit when he asks a rhetorical question. Can faith... Save you? I would have said yes. That's what I was taught as a child, right? By grace through faith are we saved. James asked it rhetorically. When he's talking about how you welcome people into your church, he seems to be suggesting that something as simple and mundane as earthly as how you welcome people into your sanctuary and who you welcome into your sanctuary is the basis for salvation. And I'm willing to say to you this morning, he's right. Because faith by itself, well, what is faith by itself? Faith and action, the talk and the walk, the head and the heart, the theology and the practice, they all go together. They're actually one and the same. So what will be our guide in all of this? And it gets a little bit tricky here because James suggests that we look to the highest law, which he calls the perfect law, the law of liberty. 
But you will not find those words anywhere else in the Bible. Well, not literally in the Bible. This law of liberty is not literally one of the Ten Commandments. You will not find the words in any of the 8th century prophets. The epistle Paul did not speak of the law of liberty. And they're not issued from the lips of Jesus. But implicitly, the law of liberty is there from the very beginning. God created Adam and Eve and gave them perfect freedom. But from the beginning, it seems we've been failing, falling, missing the mark. And the laws have come by our own failure, by our own admission of need. You may remember that ancient Israel, after God called them to be the chosen people, they just lived together. But they said, you know, God, we need a judge. Give us a judge over us. Somebody that can be the law, you know. And God said, you don't need that. Just live together. Just love together. Just be together. But they demanded, give us a law. And then when Paul began to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentile world, some of the Jews in his company cried foul. You know, we have the law, they said. They will have to become Jews and follow the law before they can follow Jesus. But Paul said, when the Gentiles do instinctively what the law requires, these are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts. There is a law of liberty that has implicitly been with us from the very beginning. And what James seems to be saying, God has been saying from the beginning. There are no rules. There are just relationships. The only law is a law of liberty. And if it has freed me to be true, then I can free you to be you. Whether you're wearing blue jeans or coat and tie when you come to my church. But most people are not that free. We have our own prejudices. We need them to look like us. We have our biases. We need them to know that we are right. We have our tastes and our experiences, which we have codified into dogmas and rules, into rights and wrongs for just about everything. This partiality, James calls it favoritism, shows up in the church too easily. And I understand how that can be. I understand that this, all that we do here is important. And I understand making commitments and convictions to the way you do things. I understand that. But how we worship is ultimately just how we have chosen to worship. And how we conceive of God is just how we have been taught to conceive of God. Or how we prefer to think of that great mystery. Paul said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Christ hasn't set us free to claim that our own truth is the only truth. Christ hasn't set us free to build the perfect church defined by perfect rules and perfect worship services. Christ hasn't set us free to know how to talk and what to wear and to teach everyone to look and sound just like we do. Christ has set us free from all of that. Christ has set us free for freedom. 
so that we can truly be free. You know, I think we hear that word a lot in America these days, freedom. But many Americans are far from free. I'm not claiming that I am. We are bound up and bound in our ideologies and our partisan loyalties. We are ensnared in our cultural norms, our implicit biases that we are not even aware exist. We are the unknowing slaves of traditions and superstitions and dogmas and the dangerous, insidious myth of libertinism that says, you know, I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. As a friend of mine in college used to say, because I'm grown and I'm an American. So I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. But libertinism is not liberty. The irony is that if we ever discover the perfect law, the law of liberty, if Christ ever really sets us free for freedom, we will find that we actually are bound tightly bound, inseparably bound, bound as servants to one another, bound as slaves to love, bound not to our own way, our own prejudices, our own biases, our own traditions and superstitions and dogmas, but we are bound to find a way forward together in love and acceptance and with grateful and graceful hearts. Several years ago, at our children's camp, our theme emphasized Christians, witnesses past and present, whose faith had caused them to be imprisoned. We talked literally about martyrs who had died in prison, those today around the world who are still serving in prison because of what they believe. Uh, I've told you before that I write one song a year whether I need to or not. It's the little theme song that I write for our children's camp. And my theme song that year was called Lock Me Up. And the chorus ended by saying, Lock me up and I will still be free. Because when Christ sets us free, there are no chains of any kind that can bind us. And the third verse of the little song that I wrote was a kind of a rapping rhyme for the kids to, to speak together. And it sort of sums up James's word for us today. If you want to know the power of God, you've got to know the truth will make you odd. You've got to know the truth will set you free by binding the power of the powers that be. You've got to speak the truth in love so brave. You've got to be free enough you could be a slave. Bound in locks or chains or fetters. Bound to love as one of Jesus' debtors. And if they lock you up and toss the key, well, keep on singing in a joyful key. But don't sing as the caged bird sings. For even in prison, the heart has wings if it knows the voice of the one who saves from boundless freedom and from heavy chains. So bind your heart in love and see the power of Christ in the captive free. This day, my prayer is that the power of Christ, the perfect law of liberty might set us free from all that ensnares us. So we, can bow, so we can be bound only to one another 
May we be so free. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.